Hello, film compatriots. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. We're continuing our series, Hollow Thanksmas, today where we discuss movies all about Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas and figure out how the holiday spirit is captured on film. We're deep in the heart of November, so Thanksgiving is just around the corner, and Tyler Harner joins me for his very first podcast episode ever to talk about Ang Lee's 1997 dramatic masterpiece, The Ice Storm. Tyler Harner, welcome to the show. It has been uh, quite a journey to try and get you uh, on. I know like every time that we would meet up uh, and work together, it would always be like, when, we, when are you coming on? When are you coming on? And finally, it took, you know, a, a first viewing of Ang Lee's The Ice Storm to bring us together. So how are you doing today, my friend? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, the first podcast appearance, actually, in my life. So really? I'm really, really excited to be able to do this. And yeah, um, I, didn't, I didn't think it'd be a movie that I literally had never heard of that would have brought <laughs> us together on this. But uh, it was definitely an interesting movie, and I'm glad we're going to get to discuss it. So yeah, thanks for having me. Totally, man. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, today's movie we're going to be talking about is The Ice Storm, directed by Ang Lee from 1997. Uh, and this is, we wanted to do, we, we try and shake it up a little bit uh, every now and then on the, on the film podcast. And this is when I was... Uh, discussing this segment for you or this series of uh, holiday movies and Thanksgiving kind of was the more difficult of the three between Halloween, Thanksgiving and Christmas. I figured it'd be really fun to talk about a movie that we both had never seen. So this was our first viewing of this movie. And I, I just wanted to mention that um, I had only heard of this movie once when I was, uh, I think I was maybe a sophomore or a junior in high school. And I kind of went on this uh, binge of, old episodes of uh, At the Movies with Siskel and Ebert and just watched a lot of their old reviews. And I remember one, they did a top 10 best of 1997 and Ebert put this as his number one movie. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And I was I was shocked. I was like, I, I don't even know what this fucking movie is. 97, <laughs> this is the year of Titanic, Goodwill Hunting, Boogie Nights. Um, yeah, wow. And so, and LA Confidential, all of those. So I was like, oh, geez, wow. Like that, what's his number one going to be? And it was this. And I was like, what the fuck is that movie? I've never heard anyone mention it that is ever. Very surprising. And so, and since then it's always been on my watch list and I was, and watching it, it was so, it's totally, you could totally tell why Ebert loved it, but it was not at all what I was expecting. I mean, I was going into it being like, okay, it's early Ang Lee. It's probably just going to be kind of a emotional drama and at the core of it, it is, but there's a, there's a lot else going on. Uh, yeah. I want to, I want to know, um, how was the first viewing experience for you? Yeah, it was good. I, I I had no idea what to expect going into this. I honestly hadn't. I haven't seen many Ang Lee films. I've only mm -hmm. seen, um, I think, Life of Pi, uh, and then maybe like one other. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't. Yeah, I had no idea what to expect. Didn't even look at his genre. I just I went in. I this cast actually blew me away. I didn't yeah. know so many of these stars were going to be in this. 
It's actually funny. I'd seen one little clip of this movie before, and I had no idea that it was from this movie. And it was in a meme, uh, and it was it was just the Katie Holmes passing out into Tobey <laughs> Maguire's lap, and it was just those like three seconds I'd seen before. I didn't know where, and it was so funny when I saw it in this movie because I was like, "That's that's so weird." But yeah, yeah I I had to admit I I really enjoyed this. I didn't I didn't know. I honestly, halfway through the movie, I was like, everyone's dying at some, I, I yeah. literally thought there was going to be so much death at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of surprised there, there wasn't as much death, but, um, it was definitely like one of the more like interesting family suburbia dramas I'd seen in recent history. So I gotta say it was, it was definitely a weird and odd movie, but, uh, it was a pretty interesting experience for sure. I think it's interesting that this movie doesn't get talked about. And I, I don't necessarily think it's like a modern classic. I honestly was really into it and kind of loved it. Um, but I was trying to figure out like why literally nobody talks about this movie. Uh, and I just from my one hearing of it back in the day from Siskel and Ebert, since then, I've had no discussions about it. I have not heard anyone in my film classes talk about it at either Ithaca yeah. or at SUNY Broom. It was just kind of a rare oddity to me. And the movie's not, it's not like, it's its not a bad movie at all. So I was yeah. just curious and I was thinking back and it literally kind of just came to me recently that it, it was such a big year for movies. Like I said, Titanic was the biggest movie in the world. Paul Thomas Anderson breaks onto the scene with Boogie Nights. Yeah, LA Confidential kind of was a revitalization of the noir genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we start having more action movies pop off. Like, this movie stars um, Joan Allen. And yeah. do you know what movie she also had this year in 1997? What was that? That would be Face Off. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a huge... See, but I bet if people would probably know her better from that than this, I would say. Right. Even though she is, like, really incredible in this movie, I'd say. She oh, gives yeah. A, like, a really intense performance. And that's, really that's the other thing, too, is just how... It's such a dense cast. Ang Lee was well known because he already had already done um, the uh, the adaptation of Sense and Sensibility, which got mm-hmm. a lot of um, accolades, and uh, Emma Thompson won the sc- uh, original screenplay Oscar for that. But I think there was just so many other big players that year, and like almost game changing. Like like I said, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of changed. Was a big player in independent film with Boogie Nights. Um, we both got like we saw Matt Damon and Ben Affleck immediate rise to stardom with Goodwill Hunting. Yep. And this one is kind of like it I, I don't I think this movie is a little bit more influential than we may think it than we kind of think that it is. Cause like I said, it's it's a really under the radar movie, but because of how it captures the the time period, the um just the kind of observant quality of the way that it's directed kind of paves the way. Like you see a lot of what's what this movie's doing in like Noah Baumbach movies in mm-hmm. like yeah. Greta Gerwig's films. Like it's it was surprisingly modern. Like obviously for the fact that it takes place in seventies during the Watergate scandal and everyone that's the whole cast is people that it's just filled with people that we now know uh, in their adult lives, but are so much younger, you know, yeah. Christina Ricci, uh, yeah, Toby Maguire, Elijah Wood. They're yeah. so young, but like the movie itself still feels like it has this modern soul to it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. If I had seen this and I, I didn't guess the year, I would have guessed definitely like mid two thousands. It definitely seemed like it had 
that sort of a, a, a more modern vibe to me. And I, I, I figured it would have been in there, but yeah, uh, it's kind of, I think it definitely must've gotten buried among some of those bigger hits. I mean, you so many just like, I mean, Titanic itself is just kind of, I mean, right. That's yeah. that itself just is going to blow it out of the water. But yeah, you, you big uh, mentioned these other big action movies and I think people probably had a more bigger draw to those than, um, than this. I don't know what month this was released or what time it was released, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the year, but, um, it might have been right around the release of which is another big one that it just kind of got buried under. I could definitely see why, like you know, modern audiences would see this, see Ang Lee, and be like, "Oh, this is gonna be slow or something. Maybe let's go for something more exciting." I don't know. It, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I can't really give a definitive answer either. I mean, it came out in September. Um, you know, that's kind of the kickoff start of the uh, Oscar season. Yeah. It had its um, premiere at um, in May at the Cannes Film Festival, where screenwriter. Um, uh, James uh, Seamus won, or yeah, James Seamus won uh, the Best Screenplay Award and uh, also opened the New York Film Festival. So it's a big film festival movie. Um, I, I, I want to talk about Ang Lee really quick because yeah. he's such he's such an interesting director to me. I haven't seen as many of his films as I I should, but I think his career um, post Brokeback, I think Brokeback was a very interesting point, and everything after Brokeback is completely what I, I kind of identify with Ang Lee. Because, I mean, the first time I had heard about him was Life of Pi and how that was just a big smash hit and a visual marvel. Yeah. And ever since then, he's been kind of doing movies like that with Billy Lynn's long halftime walk and Gemini Man of, like, doing hyper frame rates and dealing with, um, you know, kind of game-changing visual effects. Mm-hmm. But before that, you know... Yeah, I, I had like one, a totally different director before 20... Yeah. Like 2000, honestly, 2009 or whatever like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I mentioned this when we did the best of the decade of the 2000s list. Uh, Brokeback was my number 10. I I love Brokeback Mountain so much. And watching that, when I had rewatched it, I was like, it's so strange to think that he directed this movie because that movie is so kind of, uh, it's just so personal Mm -hmm. and uh, honest and natural that I was like, this seems, it's so lower scale than what I was used to. I mean, also, I mean, he does Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in 2000, which is like, extremely different yeah, like than the this. wacky martial arts kind of whole thing yeah mm-hmm. i still haven't caught up with brokeback mountain one i've been meaning to for a very long time and i probably should get around to now that i've experienced more yeah. than me um, um so yeah but he also does like sense and sensibility so i feel mm-hmm. like this is kind of one that is in his wheelhouse of yeah. just um it's extremely personal i think that's one of the things that he loves to do is put his actors in some of the more um emotionally vulnerable states. Sure. Even yeah. though like throughout the movie you're not so sure as to what characters are thinking, you can tell that they are like almost on the brink of like just going over the edge. Yeah, no, I think honestly we see that that kind of personal thing in his Hulk movie, honestly. Yeah. I think that's what he tried <laughs> to do with that movie. He has this kind of personal <laughs> touch and I think that's honestly why a lot of people felt very strange about that one. I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen a lot of different scenes from it, but there is an odd, almost like sensual feel for the Hulk in that movie. And I feel like he puts this kind of personal touch he has onto this superhero, which was his experiment. Might not have worked perfectly, (laughs) but I I think that it's definitely something that he's used to doing. And I think he probably has done a lot of his career. I haven't seen Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk either, but um, Mm. I've heard it kind of has that sort of personal touch with all the flashbacks of uh, the war experience. Right, Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, Hulk! I always forget that <laughs> this movie. I hate that movie. I'm sorry. It's got some awful. some funny special effects and oh yeah, some well, really they weird tr- comic because <laughs> they try and do like the the 
comic book style yeah, panel like thing. Flash into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very and, oh, yeah. It's not not very good. But uh, but yeah. So so just a quick couple couple specs about the movie. As I said, it was released mm-hmm. in 1997, directed by Ang Lee, um, screenplay by uh, Tom Seamus, based on uh, Rick Moody's book, also titled The Ice Storm. It st- stars Kevin Klein, Joan Allen, uh, Henry Cerny, Toby Maguire, Christina Ricci, Elijah Wood, Sigourney Weaver, and Jamie Sheridan. Um, kind of a murderer's row of uh, famous late 90s actors who all went on to have very significant uh, careers, some of whom are like really fun to see like pop up now. Like we've seen, um, like I think Jamie, Jamie no, uh, Henry, Henry Cersney kind of had a uh, sort of uptick in his career recently with uh, Ready or Not as the the father of the of the family, right? That's right. I knew I recognized him from somewhere. Yeah, and he he has such an interesting look about him because like his eyes always seem like they're just too big for his head. Like they're always kind of yeah, they're like out bulging out. Yeah, yeah. He just has that very distinct look, but he's kind of one of the more um, disconnected characters, and that's yeah. kind of the whole thing about this movie. Is it's set over Thanksgiving break in 1973 in the during the heat of the Watergate scandal. Uh, and you know we're talking all about Thanksgiving for this month, so uh, I think we should just uh, get in to the ho- that holiday itself. And like we said before, it's a little difficult because Thanksgiving don't doesn't have specific media tied to it, other than probably like a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and then the next episode of our podcast is going to be on planes, trains, and automobiles. But beyond that, some of them just have like little scenes and little moments. But this one takes place over like a very distinct timeline. Yeah, it's, uh, it's clearly Thanksgiving break. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know what's your relationship to the holiday and do you have any specific traditions? Like mm-hmm. how do you, like emotionally, how do you respond to Thanksgiving? Yeah, I've always enjoyed Thanksgiving. Um, obviously, thinking back, I mean, you never, you don't want to think about the the past very past traditions of Thanksgiving. So you try to make, you know, your own family's traditions to move off of our troubling America's troubling Thanksgiving past. But we, we yes. move on from that. Um, so uh, when I was younger, actually my there living in Connecticut, um, we used to participate in the Manchester road race, which was always fun because Thanksgiving morning you'd wake up and we would all like my, a, a bunch of my dad's side extended family would, um, would come in and we'd, we'd all have like a costume because it, it was like a fun thing to like dress up in a costume in the road race. It was like five miles. And then you just like, it was in Manchester, you did the fun run and it was, I was always with my dad the whole time and we'd always pass our, my mom at the end who wouldn't, she had the camera and we'd always like have to like pose for her. And that was always fun. <laughs> that was always a good, a good tradition, you know, waking up in the morning and just having a good time. And then you would, you know, go home, shower and then we'd go to grandma's and it was just so much food, which would always yeah. be good. I didn't, I literally wouldn't, I would have like a granola bar before the run and then I would like starve myself and then just devour for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, food has always been my biggest draw for Thanksgiving. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I passionately love cooking Thanksgiving food. Stuffing, I think is my, my top Thanksgiving food. Do you have a top Thanksgiving food? Oh, it's it's by far stuff. Yeah, I'm Absolutely. glad you agree. Cause, I I cause, stuffing regularly. I I think you know this about me. Yeah, I I <laughs> I, I like you just like you know you buy the boxes. You make it's five minutes. It's so easy. Yeah, it's, it's just so it's, good. It's amazing. And my mom does the. I mean, 
I I do I do like the stovetop. Don't get no, me wrong. Yeah, no. I, I, I go homemade for, like, for for Thanksgiving as well. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. My absolutely. my mom, the way my mom does it, I have I, I don't know how she gets it the way she does. It's it's like magic. It's it's one of the best <laughs> things we've ever eaten. It's so fucking good. All right. Well, she cuts the celery and the onions like nice and oof. thick too, and crisps it up. Oh my god! It's I'm so gonna have to get, come come over to the wall house. Yeah, come come over here. Have some stuffing. <laughs> that sounds good. Oh, it's so great. Um, that, that's cool. I never thought about like the road race and like having like an actual other event in, in kind of the middle of it, other than something like watching yeah. the, Ma- the Thanksgiving Day Parade of Macy's, which is what we kind of do. Yeah, see, I never, I actually never watch the parade. I feel like I feel like it's sometimes on. I just never really watch it. I've, I like obviously mm-hmm. I see pictures of it all the time and stuff. But um, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. I um, usually it was usually just that, and then food, and then always the big. The, my one of my favorite traditions was the day after you have all the leftovers and you make the big. You buy like some thick bread, so you it has like the good integrity, and then you make a big Thanksgiving sandwich with all yeah. like everything just in one. And right, it's, it's that's just heaven right there. It's just like forty eight hours just straight of just engorging. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's what I love. It's it's that's it like so, socially mm. acceptable the whole time. So yeah, love that. And I I've always liked that. There's it's just kind of it feels like it's just one day kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole the whole month itself is still feeling like, oh, you know, we're leading up to Christmas because that's just the building and building and building. But yeah. I like that it's just, it's focused on a meal and um, it's, but yeah, so it, it feels a little bit lower stakes than something like Christmas. Um, and, but like a little higher stakes than something like Halloween. So it's kind of right in the middle of there. Um and so you mentioned also you are a Connecticut guy. Mm-hmm. This movie uh, takes yes. place in New Canaan. Uh, New Canaan. I had no idea. I they say it on the train right at the beginning, and I didn't know it was going to take place the whole time. And it wasn't honestly brought up again until like the three quarter mark when uh, Kevin Klein said something about sales in all of New Canaan, and I was like, I guess this is where it's taking place. Yeah. I honestly don't know if I've ever been to New Canaan. <laughs> it's pretty far away from me, if I'm being honest. I'm like smack dab in the middle, and I think that's on one of the mm. ends. So um, I might have when I was younger, but yeah, that's funny. I, I, I wouldn't have guessed. We, we did a whole, our first mini series for this show that we did was called The LA Sessions, which we did all about movies that take place in Los Angeles. Yep. And as someone uh, being from Connecticut, I was just curious, like the whole movie itself does have this very um, late fall, early winter vibe to it. But like, mm-hmm. does the setting of Connecticut, do you think, does it, what is the vibe of Connecticut and how can that be captured on film? Do you think it's like possible? Like what is, what do you feel is like signature yeah, to Connecticut? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I it's very similar. So this movie didn't actually show a lot of like the like the town. It kind of just showed individual houses in like very small areas around. So it was hard to get like a big picture of like what that looked like for the setting, but I mean for me it's always I mean it's always been just a very typical New England fall looking. I mean, I'll obviously get the leaves changing um lots of just suburbia you know it's it's Mm. it's very picturesque i'd say most places you go um and i guess uh one movie that captures it well which i think is is it doesn't it takes place in new york city i think is when harry met sally Mm -hmm. it it takes one one of the like middle sections of that movie is it takes place right in fall and it's not too much in the city they're kind of near a bunch of houses and that always that makes that scene or not scene that part always was like that that's a good fall image and that always that makes me think of kind of what connecticut feels like it's it's very generic picturesque fall yeah. colored leaves mm. regular houses. i love it so yeah 
this movie does also kind of have the same feeling of like an upstate New York vibe in a way. Is that yeah, like, I would say that too. It's also like, because where people live in this movie, I mean, it's obviously affluent white neighborhoods, but they, they're, they're surrounded by dead trees. It's yeah. like their houses are beautiful and and very large and luxurious, but, but like so they're not really around anything. Yeah. There's like they're close to the town, but the town is almost one of those like just kind of drive through to get to somewhere else. Yeah, kind I don't of even town. know if we see. Do we see any buildings in town? I forget. Just the pharmacy and maybe right. like the look local like, like there's like where a courthouse she maybe the, like yeah the lipstick from yeah so that yeah yeah it. but it so like the layout and the scenery is like so interesting because of how widespread it feels yeah. but also like <laughs> I think that's a big theme in the movie and we'll get into it like a little bit later just like being disconnected mm-hmm. like they're clearly not their only connection to the outside world is through their television and when Nixon is on yeah um, speaking but like and obviously they're completely disconnected with each other through their family but mm-hmm. like you'd think that like if this movie took place like if this was like a Boston movie they would try and make it more about like the city and the surrounding yeah. neighborhoods and it would Definitely. feel a little bit more um, communal, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the idea of making it so um, isolating for everyone involved. Yeah, even like the, uh, the the house at the end that the party's at, it's like still, it seems like it's in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's definitely a big sense of isolation in this kind of odd town. Did you ever have a experience a, an ice storm uh, to the same caliber as presented in this movie? No, it's I've, pretty, I know. I've never seen. Wild. I've never seen an ice storm like this. I've definitely seen like big snowstorms in my life, but never like a, a like like a, a storm that's like just about like ice. Like you know, mm-hmm. I, maybe it's been like obviously icy at times, and then things have gotten really icy. But like never to this level. This seemed like very dangerous. I can't believe they were all like driving. Yeah, it's like that's so dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no way. I've been through an ice storm similar. Like, I don't want to say on this same like caliber where it was raining and then it instantly froze, mm-hmm. but there have been a couple like combined with snowstorms where the roads were just like, yeah, yeah, no. awful. Literally that's last Thanksgiving, like it took me a while to get back up to Ithaca right. because of how slick big. the roads were um, up here in the like three feet of snow or whatever the fuck it was that we got. But it's like, it's so strange, like how unpredictable where it's just this like, oh, it's just a rainstorm. You know, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. And then it literally just instantly becomes a death hazard. Yeah, like it's a like, really big problem. <laughs> absolutely insane. Uh, all right, I think that's it for general overview. You want to just get straight into the critical breakdown and start unpacking this movie? Sure, let's do it. All right. I'm ready. I want to say first, I think we should kind of get this out of the way, kind of starting with the beginning and the end, is that I was not expecting this movie to have a circular structure. Yeah, right? I, I thought that the train being frozen was like foreshadowing that this area is often icy. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they, this happens a lot. So, I, 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 I wouldn't have, ex- I, I didn't see that coming. I, I didn't even think of it as like, I thought of like, Toby didn't seem... I forget the character's name, but they, uh, I'm going to call him Toby's because I... Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> um, he didn't seem like too freaked out, it seemed, in the beginning. He seemed more freaked out in the end of when this train was there. 
So yeah, I definitely yeah. didn't expect the circular thing to come back through. When when he was on the train nearing the end, I was like, I it popped into my head, but then it kind of went away. And then when it came back up, I was like, oh okay, that's nice. Yeah, I, I like, and we'll get into a little bit more of that with the with the meaning. But like, it's, mm. it, I, it it always surprises me when that happens. Like, um, oh, actually, the one thing that I I meant to actually ask you before uh, earlier is like what. What when you go into a movie for the first time, what are you expecting from the very first viewing? Like how can it what can a first viewing do to make it special for you? So I I I really look to be connected to these like characters. I especially for a drama like this with a with a bunch of different ones all dealing with their own problems, I think it's important that I don't have to like all of them, but I, I have to I want to be like engaged in what they're doing and know their stakes, which I think this movie actually did really well. I was very invested in these characters. Um, so that's usually what I go into. I, I mean, me kind of going into this more blind than most movies. Um, I think I was kind of going in with a more open mind. If it was like, if I was going into like a horror movie, I would say like, I, I, I would expect to be genuinely startled, scared, a little frightened, a little freaked out. Um, or like, you know, if I'm going into an action movie, I want to be like, I want to look at the screen and like have my jaw drop at like something right. awesome happening. Um, usually going into these kind of drama type things. I don't know if I, I have that same, like I, it's probably still just a, again, about the characters. I, I, I wouldn't have as high of a standard as some of these other things, but I, I definitely want to be invested in, in what's going on in these people's lives, which I think is, is important. And it is, is done well in this movie. So yeah, that's probably what I'd look for. I agree. And I think that especially going in with no expectation, mm-hmm. I like, I didn't know what the story was. I wasn't yeah. sure. Um, what was going to play out with dramas? I, I expect there to be a lot of buildup. Like I, I expect that the, and not even just in terms of pacing, but I hope by the third act there's going to be something that kind of blows the lid off of what has come before. Mm, and I yeah. think this movie does do that. But to make it special is yeah, I think I think the characters have to, um, you know, really grab me, and that goes right in line with the um, the performances. Uh, all of which in this movie I think are fantastic. I think yeah. everyone really brings their A game. Uh, and some very odd um, portrayals for the actors involved, I think, in, in in a good way. So, like, the fact that like Christina Ricci famously played Wednesday Adams yep. is now this kind of sexually promiscuous um, 16-year-old who, by the way, I thought when you first see her, when Toby gets off because she's so much smaller than yeah. everyone else, I was like, oh, it's his little sister. She's like is, eight or nine. Oh, And then later, I, just from the first time looking oh, at her, okay. then she started, the way she started interacting, I was like, okay, she's at least a little bit older, but she's supposed to be like... How old is she supposed to be? I think she's supposed to be like 14. Oh, okay. 15. Yeah, see, I couldn't... I was guessing around 15. I couldn't quite tell. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, I wanted to know she, what the age difference on her and Sandy was. Yeah. The younger brother. I, I couldn't gauge that. I didn't know how old he was. I assumed he was like... 10. Like, a, like 11, maybe. 11, 12 or something yeah. like that. Um, and Elijah Wood was, is like... I think it's the same age. I would I think guess he's, he's, the, he's the same age as Christina Ricci's character. Yeah, and and Toby Maguire is um, is sixteen, and I think it's very right. funny that so he so Toby Maguire does this, and then four years later does Spider Man. Yeah, I and know. I, it was it got me thinking. He talks about Fantastic Four, and it gets me thinking about a, a world where <laughs> yeah, Fantastic Four <laughs> and Toby Maguire meet up as 
as a team. But yeah, that was I actually I like that little allegory he did in the beginning mm-hmm. with the Fantastic Four and the family. I thought that was I was I didn't expect I, he talked about Fantastic Four. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that. Maybe it's it's Angley, you know, putting out his like Marvel vibes because he's gonna he's gonna do Hulk. Yeah, years <laughs> after this. But. I I think it's interesting that because like he he clearly sets up the themes of the movie and uh, that is one of the takeaways of it is how you know, I mean, he's Toby says like um, family is the, it's the thing you're born with and you're yeah. with them when you die, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And that, it's very clearly that's evident throughout the rest. And uh, I, I wanted to say one more thing about Toby Maguire is that like, you know, four years later he does Spider-Man. And I think it's funny how much, um, you know, there's been some kind of internet backlash to Tobey Maguire's performance in the Spider-Man movies. I've always thought he was great. Oh, I um, love people him, are yeah. like, he's he's wormy. He's kind of you know, he's got a punchable face. Fucking watch this movie. He oh, is like yeah. ten times. Yeah, his wormier is is that. Yeah, I I would agree. I well, I'm sure we'll get to it. But there's he does some some strange things in this movie that are uh, never brought up again um. yeah i have i have some questions uh uh but let, let's save but it we'll for, get there for we'll get there bit. i i, I want to talk about the the parents in this movie because they they almost are the ones driving the story a little bit yeah. um sans for christina ricci's uh character she's off kind of doing her own thing but uh kevin klein and joan allen are uh members of the uh, family Yes, the Hood family, and yeah, then um, uh, Sigourney Weaver and uh, Jamie Sheridan are uh, the mother and father in the in the Carver family. Uh, and what's interesting is that like the the their two stories, they're neighbors, um, and. I, I just gotta I gotta get this out of the way quickly. I think it's hilarious that they have to walk to each other's houses like through the backwoods. It's yeah, like they're fucking like going really through the woods far. in the visit or, or in oh. the in the in, in the village when oh, Bryce gosh, Dallas Howard yes. like climbs over the fucking wall. Yeah, it um, seems like it's far. It doesn't seem like they're all that close. Yeah, um, that was my question. Is like, how is it like? Is it technically supposed to be kind of like right down the street, like maybe a quarter mile, or is it like? I could never gauge because all we ever see is that like one bridge, mm-hmm. and like. They're biking usually, so it's not like a. It doesn't seem like a quick walk. It seems yeah. like they use a bike, so I don't. I don't know. It seemed. I. It, it seemed farther than, uh, just a quick little thing to me. Yeah, but the they're these two affluent white families, um, kind of going through change in 1973 with all of the stuff going on with Nixon, and it's interesting when you first meet them, they're together, um, at that that dinner party that they're that they're at and they're talking about how the biggest fight was to get out of couples therapy and it's very clear that both of their relationships both these um marriages are starting to fall apart yeah, but it, it's bit. it's not played in the traditional sense of this kind of screaming divorce drama nope. like i loved marriage story but you this is played very differently this yeah, is a very internal Mm -hmm. subtle portrayal of these two kind of just falling apart and that their families are re-scrambled you know like by the end joan allen is with jamie sheridan and kevin klein or was with sigourney weaver but then yeah i actually used that dinner party yeah that their kind of dynamic brain is brought up really well i love um he's talking about couples therapy. And so like, you know, our last big fight was whether to go to couples therapy. And that was like the end of the conversation that Sigourney Weaver says, and it looks like you won. And I, yeah. I think that, like his face after that, like he just like, he knows, he, he knows his guilt in that. And I think that kind of sets up the dynamic for 
um, Ben and Atlanta's relationship really well. I, I want to get this out of the way. I think Sigourney Weaver is phenomenal in this movie. I know. I didn't. I I saw. Her, I didn't even recognize her on the poster. Honestly, I I didn't even. It didn't even look like her at, at first, to be honest. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, she plays. I, I actually, it's funny. I wrote down as the first time I saw her. I, I looked down like she looked like um, Courtney Cox from Cougar Town. <laughs> <laughs> I, She's got the same hairstyle. Yeah, and yeah. She had that kind of like um, snooty suburban mom vibe. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was good. Yeah, but she is she is great. I, uh, I I've never doubted her in. I mean, in some of like the uh, the more like Hollywoody type movies she's done more recently, I've probably been a little shaky. But most of her early stuff is just always been great. Yeah, I've I've always loved her too. She's always been one of my favorites. Just very. Um, I mean, she's an A list actress, mm-hmm. but she also feels very easily uh, relatable, like in the sense that like, I feel like I could have a drink with Sigourney Weaver and just like have a good good conversation with her. You know what I mean? Which is the exact opposite of who she is in this movie. And that's why I think uh, it's a really great performance is that like, she is the most disconnected from everybody. Like the, yeah, she doesn't really know how to parent her kids. She doesn't really like, she doesn't really know what, her kid like what her son is like Mikey she doesn't really know like who she is as a, who he is as a person yeah and like the scene that got me was after um you know she gets Christina Ricci out of the bathroom from talking with you know for showing yeah her. I have that written down too and she and she's like you know there's this uh <laughs> Samoan this, culture yeah that like you know uh do gen- like uh they remove like genitals from young uh, from young kids and like that's her way of yeah, parenting that's her, her. lesson it's just like <laughs> teach something that she learned that's is it not going to be relevant in any way i yeah, she was so calm about it too it wasn't like she was yelling that either it wasn't she was like these these samoan kids get there yeah. generally it was like in samoan culture i was like what is happening this is bad parenting yeah and but it's, it's also yeah, it's also horrifying yeah like <laughs> imagine being i mean okay so if christina ricci is like a freshman or sophomore in high school, like sure. she, she, she probably obviously has been, she's knows and has been exploring sexually, but like that is traumatic. Like that is extremely yeah. scary to hear. Sounds a weird um, thing to threaten on a child. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like, she's just so like out of touch with everyone. And just the fact that she's, you know, reading like a Philip Roth book while she's sitting on her waterbed and yeah. telling her husband that like they've lost their touch. It's just, Oh my god! Yeah, you and, never see her have any sort of like affection with anyone. Not I mean, I love that scene when she's with Kevin Klein in the bed, and he's telling her about his like work, and she's like, "I have a husband. I I don't want another one." And yes, I, <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, but she definitely has this disconnect from everyone. I, I mean, she doesn't. I don't. It doesn't feel like she even gets it in the end. She she goes mm-hmm. off with that just like young guy, and that's just. And then bed, she ends yeah. up in the bed alone. Yeah, yeah and she, I don't I, even know if she did like if she she leave with him and then just. That's right. As I forgot that she was in the house in the end, which was weird. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think it's interesting how sex is kind of the main motivator for all the characters. Yeah, or is the one big driving force throughout the story. And I, I think it's interesting. I, I want to pull up. Roger Ebert had a really great quote uh, in his review. I have. Um, he he ends it with this. They all feel the need for something. What we sense after the film is that the natural sources of pleasure have been replaced with high-octane substitutes which have burned out the ability to feel joy. Going through the motions of what once gave them escape, they feel 
curiously trapped. And I think that is like the perfect encapsulation of what this movie um, is trying to do. And just sex in and of itself, everyone is trying to experience that in one way, shape, or form. So Mikey and Christina and uh, Christina Ricci, yep. or Elijah Wood and Christina Ricci are trying to connect that way and experimenting. Yeah, uh, Toby, Toby McGuire is trying to get with a- um, Libbits, Katie Holmes. Libets, yeah, AC, what a name, <laughs> Libets, uh, and uh, his roommate is uh, the is, ultimate cockblock. Yep. You know what's funny about him though is he plays in two years later that guy. I don't David Crumholtz. Yeah, David. He's yeah, like a is, like a nerd in so many things. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, he's he gains a little bit of weight and then becomes Joseph Gordon-Levitt's nerdy friend in, in Ten Things, things I, I Hate, hate about, about You. you. And yeah. in this movie, he's slimmer. He, he's he's the, trying to be cool. Yeah. Like <laughs> he's the cool lady killer, which I would never have expected to see David Crumholtz in, which I think was funny. Yeah. I would absolutely. have picked Toby over David Crumholtz. Easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're if you're going into this movie though, I feel like most people bought stock in David Crumholtz because he does this and then 10 things. And yes. I mean that's a good point. But Toby does this, and then Cider House rules, and then Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man, Cider House so, right. It's a little, it's it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's market correction, but it's it's interesting to see them uh, together. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to talk about Toby Maguire in this movie, because he's so, I, I think it's like the absolute peak of his weird worminess. Yeah, like, there's he does. It's a very interesting dynamic he has with these these two classmates of his. Yeah, like I think the fact that I, I didn't think he could get more wormy than what he was in, <laughs> and he's a great actor. But like, you, I didn't think he was going to ever be able to top what he was in Spider Man and in Cider House Rules. Kind of even more like Cider House Rules. I mean, he just kind of takes the. He's technically the main character, but he's surrounded by Charlize Theron, Paul Rudd, and Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. That it's like, yeah, you you can see the worminess a little bit more. But here, he is just like this like sixteen year old like rat, and you just like kind of wanna. You're like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. And he, when he goes up to uh, Livitz and it's like, have you read the idiot? It's yeah. like, oh, this conversation is oh. not going and anywhere. Then she, you know? And he goes, the idiot, like just yeah. a reminder again. I was like, no, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, it's so cringy, but it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's purposeful. Yeah, and it's, it's just like, I mean, yeah, it's that same thing he did with Mary Jane. It's that same, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like a little bit less, uh, endearing it's very he's very nervous you can tell where he's just like oh because he doesn't have an emotional connection with this person yet i mean he feels but he doesn't know this person um whereas with mary jane he's known her 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 yeah right yeah you're right it seems like he literally met her like that one class i couldn't even tell i mean probably gone before but like she says that one thing and then he's like i'm in love with her yeah so i couldn't tell if it was like right off the bat or if yeah yeah, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be implied that because I mean, okay, so it's Thanksgiving break. He's a junior in high school. I'm guessing he has been in class with her before and knows who she is or something. But like, it, it, I, I I like the idea that it happens quickly. Yeah, like because he himself is obviously starting to explore a little bit more because he's a virgin and he says that his that Francis has taken every single girl that yeah. he's been interested in. Which is, how is the ultimate like guy? dick move. Yeah, like, this guy, how is he still? I would have like I the the moment I saw him in her apartment. Like if that was me, I would have like I would have been pissed. I would have been like, yeah. "Are you kidding me, dude?" 
Yeah, I can't believe uh, he's still friends with him after all this. Yeah. yeah, like your heart just sinks when you see him in there. You're like, oh, of he's, course. Yeah, she says, we've been expecting you or something. And he's like, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, man, it's so bad. Yeah, um, but I, I think that's kind of one of the other things that's interesting about this movie is placing Toby uh, in this um, at this boarding school because he's yeah. just in no way, shape, or form in touch with his parents either. Because, yep. you know, the parents are more so, Joan Allen and Kevin Klein are more concerned with themselves and each other than they are with... Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting, like, I, I feel like parents go through this uh, this weird phase, like, right when your their kids are in high school and start of transitioning over to more adulthood than from the young adult stage of, like... I don't want to say they don't care, but they reach a point of just like, okay, I am completely disconnected. They're going through a lot of their emotions and there's not a whole lot that I can do right now. Yeah. So why don't we just go through it and then we'll reconvene later? Yep. Like I, I, there's that kind of feeling throughout this movie. Um, and it's, you know, I, I love the scene when, uh, <laughs> when uh, uh, Christina Ricci first talks to Tobey Maguire on the phone and is talking about Nixon, and he, he, she's just like, oh, you know, this Nixon, you're hearing Nixon? It's amazing. He should be shot. Yeah, he should, you know? yeah. <laughs> Which is so, you know, kind of speaks volumes uh, today. But, like, sets up early that she's gonna, she goes up against her father in some ways, you know, she doesn't want to answer the phone, and then later when she's at the dinner table, she's yeah. like, um, you know, for slaughtering the Indians and, you know, making yeah, us all that, you know, stuff yeah, ourselves. There's and actually a there's good, an interesting, there's an interesting power play going on. I mean, that yeah. was a very long way to get there, but like, you can kind of tell that there's not again, not in a, in a very subtle way. Everyone is at odds with each other. Yeah, no, I think there's a great line that emphasizes, um, Christina Ricci and Kevin Klein's relationship where he's, uh, she's, she's talking on the phone and, um, I think she's talking on the phone and then he overhears her or something. And mm-hmm. he goes, please drop the political assassination stuff. <laughs> and he's just like, he just sounds like he's sick of it. And it's not like he says it very casually. And mm-hmm. I think that was, that was really funny because like he, it's not like he, he doesn't believe she's going to do anything about it. He's just like, can you just conform and be normal kind of thing? Yeah. Right. So you, you know what the other thing I think is interesting about this movie is it's not about love. Yeah. Like you think that there would be that would almost be the overarching theme of just love and the person that you are completely connected with like but it's not it's more so about the feeling of pleasure because sex in and of itself again is the main motivator but no one ever says like the only time someone ever says like I love you like in a, in like a loving way is um when what's his name Sandy is in bed with Christina Ricci at the end and she's like oh that's nice are you drunk yeah like it and even when Mikey and or (laughs) I'm just gonna stick with actors yeah it's much easier for me too um when Elijah Wood and uh Christina Ricci are together you can clearly tell it's just for experimentation purposes they never refer to each other as boyfriend and girlfriend they um they're just like hey we you know we can fool around we can try this it's you know it's never for I want to seek a relationship with this person uh, and I, I think if it was it wouldn't it would feel it would first of all it would feel way more repetitive than it does yeah and I think that it would dampen everything else 
because everyone is at this right age where sex is kind of a big motivator in their Mm -hmm. lives, early teenagers. And then later when your marriage is starting to, um, you start to rethink like that aspect of your relationship. Yep. Yeah. I think it would also feel almost out of place to like do like a search for love in this movie. Cause I mean, I don't know if anyone in this, I mean, no one in this movie I think is, is out searching for more love. Maybe Elena, in the end, I mean, it's clear that Kevin Klein, his character doesn't care about love anymore. He's like, there's a, there's a moment when he's with Sigourney Weaver. He's like, oh right, we're having an affair. Like he's just like he says it so casually, and he's like, whatever. Like this is what this is normal for me. Um, I mean, even by the end, I don't. I think um, Joan Allen isn't. She's not even searching for more. She for love. She's just searching for some sort of pleasurable satisfaction, however temporary it is. I mean. So yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think there's really anyone. Oh, Sandy, I guess, might be the only one searching for love. But even then, he's so young, he wants to be like search. He's doing this experimentation. He doesn't. He doesn't know what it is. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, love doesn't really. It almost doesn't really have a place in this movie, which is kind of sad. And uh, not only that, it, like you don't even feel real love of like father, son, or parent and yeah, child. No, like there's there, really there's no, no clear affection towards one another, which I th- is is kind of sad to say. I, you don't really realize that when you're watching it, but yeah. That that is the one thing about this movie that I think is really really great is how sneaky it is, and yeah. that because of how because of how subtle and there's not really a plot necessarily. Yeah, it's not more really observational. Um, and I w- I wouldn't say necessarily realistic, but it's not like a realism movie. But it is more just like let's just be with these people for uh you know five days, and they're all going to be focused on on sex and pleasure and we'll see what happens. And it's just going to culminate in this one, you know, historical ice storm. Yeah. Um, But you don't realize like, as you're watching it, the emotion and the themes, or I guess more so the emotion doesn't really hit you until after I, like I was thinking about it and I was doing, you know, prep for this show and I was reading through, I read Ebert's review. um, I read, um, <clears throat> uh, Janet Maslin's review for the New York Times yeah. from back in the day, and I was realizing like how much more melancholy this movie really is. Because obviously, yes, it ends with the death and the circular aspect of that, and Kevin Klein just kind of breaking down. Yeah, but and that's obviously very sad. But like, and and while when it ended the first time, I was like, oh damn, wow, that was a. You know, that was a tough ending, but great movie. And then the more I was reading about it, I was like, there's more things at play here that make it way more depressing, but also very real. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree on that. There's a lot of things left uh, just open that mm-hmm. doesn't feel like lazy. It just kind of makes you think more. It's like, I mean, these other people's lives are going on too. I, well, I mean, but I mean, there's so much going on in this, like, you know, the, uh, this family. I mean, it just seems like there's. It's so consequential when, in terms, it's really not consequential at all. So, it's a pretty weird balance of like people having their problems throughout and uh, like the priorities that they face through it. You know, it's also I wanted to go back to Kevin Klein and Joan Allen's yeah. relationship real quick because I think theirs is one of the more fascinating to me. Because um, he's he's having an affair with Sigourney Weaver, um, and I, I think it's it's important to note that the, the one scene that's kind of very integral to the rest of the movie is when he goes to have his affair. And then in the basement, uh, Elijah Wood and Christina yeah. Ricci are hooking up and doing that thing. 
And then that eventually leads to Joan Allen figuring out that yeah. he is having an affair. Um, but I, th- I think what's really fascinating, and maybe this is just, this was supposed to be like an acting technique by Kevin Klein, but never throughout this movie does Kevin Klein feel worried about the fact that he's having an affair. You know, yeah. like, uh, and not necessarily in a moral way, but in the way of like, um, okay, I have to be sneaky to make sure that she doesn't find out. Yeah, like, dude, he's the just guy very, is in his boxers yeah. walking around her house. <laughs> I I was like, dude, put some clothes. Like, like, if the husband comes home unexpectedly, you have nothing yeah, to say. Yeah, no alibi. If you have clothes mm-hmm. on, you have some semblance of something yeah. you can say. <laughs> he's just, he's swinging the golf club in his boxers. I know this house is probably in the middle of nowhere, but my man <laughs> is so bold and he does not care about this, this affair at all. Yeah. There's, um, what was that? I, I was thinking of something that, um, Oh man, I, I forgot. I'll, I'll get it again. I'll come back to it. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but the only, even when he says like, Oh yeah, I went to go drop the the mug that he left, the mustache yeah. mug that was on my dash, that was on the dashboard. I had to go give it back to him. Like he just says that so just like just he just throws it out there. Yeah. Like there's no semblance of like, okay, I have to play it cool. Like right. he's not really concerned about it really at all. Yeah, actually, and, I, I remember what I was gonna say. He, mm-hmm. he at one point he's talking to Sigurney and he's he says, like, you know, well, what if they, uh, maybe they'll all find out? Oh well, it's like it's fine. He said he like just kind of breaks for like a minute at one point near the end, I think, and um, he's, he doesn't seem very worried about. It. He's just like I'm. He seems relieved, like that would be. I see. It seems like if he was to tell her, he would he'd have such a relief because he mm-hmm. clearly cares more for Sigourney Weaver. I mean, you see him get immensely jealous in the, at the key party as yeah. soon as she picks the other. She clearly like I love that actually. Like that shot of. Like the rope key is wrapped around right where his is, and she goes yes. right for that. I actually oh. really like that. And then he gets up and me is like, "No, no." And I thought that was, I was like, "This is awkward." Like, what, what? that was super awkward. That was actually, I think, the most awkward moment in the movie for me because everyone, everyone knew at that moment. Like, it was so clear. I, I want to talk about the whole kind of ice storm sequence and that yeah. whole section of the night but before I do I wanted to talk about um, one of the negatives that I have of the movie uh, and it's the really the one storyline that I feel like doesn't really go anywhere um, and doesn't add a whole lot because it it's almost corrected by the end and it's Joan Allen talking to the, the, the minute the yeah, I was, I was guy. Gonna, actually this is funny I was going to bring this up too it did I, I, I was waiting for something some big payoff from this or something dark from him he seemed like he was the way they talked in the beginning was like our our methods are unconventional. You know, we're disorganized. I like that, and I was like, "Hmm, do I mm-hmm. sense a cult? Like something yes. weird coming <laughs> on here?" And yeah. I thought that that was going to come back, but um, yeah, I was a little a little sad that nothing paid off with that relationship. It's only in two scenes. Yeah, so she meets the guy and then later at the is, party, yeah. he's at he's at the party, right? Yeah, which is, is that weird. the thing? He says something yeah. very strange at the party. I actually I had to write it down because I was he says, Oh yeah, because he's she asks him why he's at this key party. And he goes, Sometimes a shepherd needs the company of his sheep. Oof. And that I was like, <laughs> and I'm glad she yeah. she immediately was like, I am not gonna think into that yeah, at all. I, I, ain't, I ain't going near that. <laughs> yeah, that was that also made me think that there was going to be something weird. Like he was going to like do something real dark or some shit. I don't know. I, I didn't know. Yeah, so 
I, I agree with you. I think that that relationship should have had a, a bigger payoff or at least something, something in but the end of it. And I like the idea that she ends up with Jamie Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree. Because because that makes sense. It's like okay, the husbands and wives have kind of been wrong, swapped, and yeah. it's kind of this weird mental play. Um, but like, if they're gonna have this minister guy, like, could they have it like lead to that? Like, can it kind of be a stepping stone to get there? Yeah, like, it didn't, for the it most part, though. Connect. Yeah, it's almost like they're tempting Joan Allen to go over to that like not not like the side of whatever he's preaching but like the side of like yes go like commit adultery like you must like but then she like doesn't give in and then eventually gives in anyway so i don't i don't don't really know what the point of it is maybe if i like rewatched it i would have a better understanding maybe it's some sort of semblance with like her faith and it could not be it might be more than just like religious faith it's like her faith in her family and her husband and how she's clearly seeking out other like uh, like churches and things like that. I don't because mm-hmm. she says to the reverend, she says it's like oh we went so with somewhere else, and I don't know if that was like a lie or if if like just to cover up or if she actually does go to church and like mm-hmm. believes in that a lot. Um, but yeah, maybe it's something to do with you know the, the pushing of her faith with her family. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think there definitely could have been more out of that. I, I would agree. I think there's some sort of connection would have been, would have been a little better. That's true. Like I actually, I like that idea of thinking about it. I forgot they had that discussion about like how she left, left the church and yeah. you know, do you go to church? But like, <clears throat> um, I think, I think that would have been interesting if the minister was played as a, as a good guy, but He's he's not he's a, he's a huge creep. He's fucking yeah. really weird. I was okay with him for the first scene, and then once we saw him at the key party, I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also want to mention again that the this is a again it takes place in 1973, so all of the clothing is very uh, of the time. But like, yeah. this is probably in like easily one of the worst collections of haircuts I've ever seen in a movie. Oh my Everyone's God. got a bad haircut. Oh my God. <laughs> Elijah Woods, I think, was was one of the standouts of just like oh, the girls. It reminded me of like, you know, something, a female Victorian era something. I, I Yeah. Yeah. That was, but actually, so it's funny you say that, and the clothing. Um, I watched an interview with um, um, director, what's his name? Angley. Ang- yeah, Angley, <laughs> the screenwriter, and then the original book, or the writer of the original book, and they they sat down at, at like a roundtable discussion. And one thing they all brought up was like this movie kind of represents like the embarrassment of America in the year it takes place, of like, like 1973. And so not only is it shown in like the water the Watergate scandal, obviously, but like it's also shown in their clothes and in their haircuts that like you look back now and like kind of like cringe out of that stuff almost. So. I, I would assume actually that that stuff is probably intentional. I, I'm I'm sure that. Oh, it, I I absolutely yeah, think it's intentional. It, I just think it's worth noting that it's everyone's so haircut is fucking weird. awful in this movie. Particularly yeah. Sigourney Weaver's is. She does a just, lot of wacky like, things with it. Yeah, it's, it's like not it, it's not a good look for her. I that wish she good. just kept the flowy Ridley alien yes, look. Like, I that's would the, completely you know, agree. Um, and then you know who you know who's actually is even worse like. Allison Janney looks like Mary Tyler Moore in this movie. Yeah, when she's throwing- I literally couldn't even register that was Allison Janney for like two mm-hmm. minutes. I, I stared. I was like, "Is that Allison yeah. Janney?" Because I is. heard it in the voice, but the, it didn't look like her right at first. She is covered in makeup. Oh, yeah. That's probably why That's she's it, like yeah. she looks like a like a 
pop art comic <laughs> figure. Like her face shines. Like yeah. it's so wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah. That I I honestly wish like she could have been a, a fun neighborhood character. I wish they kind of used her a little more. That would have been nice. I love Allison Janney. Yeah. Uh, let's just let's talk about the whole third act and the whole ice storm sequence and yeah. bang it out because like a lot is happening. Oh yeah. Uh, in this in this last act, I think this is like an incredible third act. Like honestly, the entire like I think how everything is led up to this one night uh, and all of the stories out wandering about together. Yeah, how no, they cross there paths wasn't, is there really wasn't, great. There wasn't one storyline. I wanted to keep going to like each storyline to see what was going to happen. I think Toby's was nearing the end once the ice storm hit just because yeah. he was on the train. But um, yeah, the rest was, I was, I was very like, let's jump to the, to the next group. I want to see what's, what's going on here. And it was, yeah, I, I gotta say, I, Reading the the logline for this movie, I thought the ice storm was going to happen. Like the the plot structure of this movie was going to be like first third built, like kind of world building, story building, everything. Get the get the characters and stuff settled. Second third was going to be the ice storm, and then we'd have like the aftermath at the end. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they're like stuck inside or something, and they have to like deal with something like that. So I I didn't I actually didn't know the ice storm was going to come this late in the movie. Um, it was definitely a good I agree, yeah. I mean, I knew it was coming. So, like, obviously, <clears throat> a movie called The Ice Storm, you figured there's going to be an ice storm. So, um, right. I knew that was going to come at some point. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely a good build up to it. And it was pretty crazy. Well, actually, did so one of the, I, I, I liked a little bit of foreshadowing uh, in it. Did, uh, one thing is the dad at, at one point takes out like a big ice tray and he's got like a breaker mm-hmm. for it and like, <laughs> and he's made it all like, chunk, and I was like, ice storm foreshadowing. There it yeah. is. Yeah. Well, ice and water are a big theme and yeah. I, in the movie in general. I, I'll want to get into that a little bit later, but let's talk about what some of the storylines, like how they how they play out. I, and I want to start with Toby's because I think his is kind of the most complicated yeah. of all of them. Uh, when obviously he goes to um, Libitz's house and Francis is there. Um, and after taking... Uh, I don't remember what it was, but they're like sleeping pills. Yeah, I, I I forget what they're called. Something with a P, but yeah. Yeah, and I I don't know what what did you make of the fact that he you know he doesn't take it and you know they fall asleep and then the whole thing with Katie Holmes in his lap like are we meant to believe that he does do something with her or does he just run out of the room? I so the way I took it is that. What's weird is that the, so he she takes the pill, she stands up, she does the thing, and she falls right in his lap. What's weird is right when that happens, there's a cut, and we mm. go to something else for kind of a, a long time. It's not it's not a short little thing, and then we come back and it's still like this, which I thought was weird because it really threw off the semblance of time of how long has he let this go on for, mm. and that made me a little uncomfortable because obviously obviously it's a weird a weird thing i i right. i'd also yeah. think of them <laughs> filming okay. this and yeah <laughs> katie holmes just sitting there in his yeah. lap <laughs> which which made me laugh but um yeah i i don't think he did i um, i believe i believe that he didn't do anything mm-hmm. i think i think his initial intention of not giving katie the pill he was like i'm just gonna give it to what's his name um and then Francis, Francis yeah. right? And then he's gonna, and then he's like, that's it. And then she comes in, and he's like, you shouldn't mix. I, I actually expected him to say that. I was like, that's your out, bro. Say don't mix these with alcohol, even though yeah. her, his friend has just done the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then he, he's somewhat of, I mean, 
I don't know if I can call him a good guy for that. I mean, he's trying to be like, no, don't do this. And then she's like, okay, dad takes it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, just what makes it a little um, complicated in that, in just terms of my understanding of it is like, yes, you're right that he says like, you know, you probably shouldn't do this. And I, and I don't think, because one of the reviews, I can't remember if it was the times one or, but like um, says that, the plan like to put the pills he puts the pills in her drink which just doesn't happen that doesn't that's not how it plays out he's not oh. intentionally trying to drug her and if he yeah. and if he was no that would be way worse yeah that would uh, but yeah. One, the only thing that makes me curious is yes the time cut the time cut makes it really confusing is if he was just like cuz you see the look on his face he's like oh no what do i do and then he cuts back and then he's just kind of sitting there and i was like was he like there for like 5 minutes like yeah. is that his is that all his whole plan was just thing. like why don't I just sit here and enjoy this? And this will be like, like that makes it way worse. Yeah. But then I was thinking, okay, so then he tries to help her up. That was and, the most awkward help up too. He yeah. Was, her head just keeps falling. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, great. Yeah. That and was then good. lays her down on the ground and then he runs away and then we hear like this clunking, like he... Like he's running or runs into the table or something like that. And I couldn't figure out if he was just immediately like... I gotta go. I'm done. Yeah. I'm out and ran to the train. I feel like that was the that's the implication. That's is that at least he's what just I took going, from it, yeah. Um or if there's something more darker going on. But like I don't know. I, I just kinda wanted to bring it up and see what you thought. Um, because I, I feel like now that scene would be handled like nowadays would be handled completely different, yeah, if not in there at all. Um, but it seems like he because again, the t- time jumps are so weird. You don't really know what happens in between cuts of yeah. when she falls and then when she picks her up and then later when he runs away from her body and then she, then he's just in the train station. So yeah. there seems like there would be a little bit of missing information, but I think that also is maybe just an editing issue. Yeah, than it is. And I mean, even so, if he, I mean, even uh, hoping he didn't do anything to Katie Holmes's character, he's still not innocent in this because he didn't. They they just took a alcohol and prescription drugs and i'm pretty sure david carmel's was laying on his back when he left. yeah he which and if katie holmes was also i don't know i don't remember what position he left her in she definitely mm-hmm. i don't think she was laying on her side so there's no a, they were both on their a back decent chance that they both could die and yeah. i mean he didn't even i mean he didn't even i mean you should at least an anonymous tip i mean something yeah. <laughs> they're clearly not yeah. doing good <laughs> Like yeah, I bet you don't want to be the, in that room when the police get there. Yeah. But he dead. There's a yeah. We we kind of leave. We don't go back to them. And there's a kind of an okay. Not there's a there's a um a non-zero chance that those two have both died. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I, I think what's kind of the point of everyone's storyline is that no one other than uh. Elijah Wood is innocent by the end of the night. Like everyone kind of commits some act of, yeah. uh, you know, kind of dare I say it, like sin because he does yeah. that. Like he's clearly again still implicated because he let that happen. happen. It was his yeah. idea to get the drugs out anyway. So, um, and then Joan Allen gets with um, Jamie Singer, yep. uh, uh, in in the car, and uh, Kevin Klein kind of ruins the whole party by being uh, drunk and tries to intervene with what's yeah. going on. Um, I think that the key party scene is uh, is fantastic. Um, oh, when just they're seeing, electing. 
Yeah, well, not even just the oh, key just party, like the the whole game itself. Just even before that, yeah. just the interactions with like. There's a lot, like, also, I think it should show you how kind of gross the, you know, like, upper oh, middle God, class neighborhood would be. There's that guy, one guy who's like, oh, you know, wish they... Yeah, right? Yes! Oh! <laughs> I, was, oh. I was so skeezed out. So gross. I think even Kevin Klein's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he looks at him really quick. Yeah, no, I was, that made me uncomfortable. But his interaction with Sigourney Weaver also um, is very important because of, like, you know, he says, like, she's clearly just, like, not interested in anything anymore. Yeah. And just is trying to back out completely. And he, you know, feels uh, feels betrayed. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, right. and which is, again, so ironic because he has betrayed his marriage yeah. that he's, um, you know, he's been in this binding relationship for 17 years. Yeah. And even then, and he... he- um, she says, like, I wanted to do that before I met with, I think it was like Ben, Benny or some, some guy that like young guy, I think she was meeting with or something. And he's like, what do you mean? Like he gets immediately jealous about this woman he's cheating on. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I love the idea that, uh, you know, this is the turning point for all of them. You know, she, Oh yeah. Once you see that cool downward shot of the key going into the bowl, you know that like it's not going to end well. And even Joan Allen's like, "We're not going anywhere." Yeah, right. I like she she goes in, she's like, "Dot," and she just throws her the keys. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that was yeah. No, Joan Allen is not messing around. I actually thought she was Uh going to go first. I expected her to be like, "I'm up." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thought that was kind of funny. Um, and so they're at the party, and then uh. Fucking Elijah Wood gets all bundled up, looking like Georgie from It. Like he's gonna I get know, his arm he gets super eaten off in a sewer. This kid. Um, okay, can we talk about it real quick? He is on this diving board. Yeah, at like the hour seventeen mark near the ice storm is going, and like, what if if he fall? Like, I thought I literally thought he was gonna. He was that was how he was gonna die. Like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I thought I thought he was gonna because he's, he's like really thought, if he falls on that, like that's far, and you're gonna land yeah. on more ice. I would assume there's no water in there. I, so that, yeah, that I thought made me he nervous. was going to. I thought he was going to jump or like fall or whatever, and then break his leg, survive the fall, and then die of hypothermia. <laughs> <'cause no one laughs> that would have like, been dark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have been stupid, yes. but like it would have. I mean, he was being stupid on that. Yeah, I was just I was looking him out on the diving board. And he was on there for a while. I was like, dude, bad mm-hmm. idea. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that he. Um, I gotta say, when he's sliding down the road just on his back, I honestly thought that looked pretty fun. But he's like, <laughs> his, just, his, oh, oh, you're talking about before he gets yes, okay, yeah, yeah, it, was like, just, yeah, it did look fun. I, I would do that. That's that was a good time. But again, he's such a child in this movie. He's like just. I I thought he said that he was going to go meet with Christina Ricci. Yeah, me too. At which that is, moment, which is also what made me think that their houses are too so far apart. Is this like long journey he did? Because mm. I didn't know and if he just was like, oh, ice, and then just got distracted and started going exploring. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, molecules, yay! Yeah. He's like running <laughs> in slow motion. His, his molecule <laughs> speech, right, yep. Um, and then I, I I don't know how you felt, but I did not see his death coming. Like, No, I didn't. I, I, I didn't see that at all coming. I, again, I still thought everyone was going to die at one point. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought just things were going to go real bad. 
But I got to say, there was a lot of time when that wire was flailing around for him to get off that metal. Yeah. Like if you see a wire <laughs> flailing around, you don't, you make sure you are not touching any metal. This, he's like, wow, look at that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. He's looking at it for like a solid five seconds. And yeah. I thought that was like, I was like, come on, dude. But like, still, yeah. he's a kid, he's looking at it. He's probably also probably holding onto it for stability if it's icy. So I gave him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt of, yes, it makes yeah. a little bit of sense that he could get electrocuted like that because he's mm-hmm. he's been so far again on the diving board. Not a smart move. He's not a he's not an incredibly bright young boy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll I'll give him and a then, little benefit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Christine Ricci's with Sandy uh, in bed, and I think you know Sandy kind of has this coming of age moment. You know where he has alcohol for the first time, yeah, and he's like, "I think I love you." Yeah, he went and full Ted Mosby on that. That was I. I laughed <laughs> when he said that. he's like, "I love you." I was like, oh, because <laughs> I knew she was yeah. just going to be like, "Oh, that's that's nice." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and again, that kind of cements the idea of like he's the only one that kind of feels not not compassion, but like you know, real love. Yeah, and then, affection at least. Uh, I guess something real more affection. than just sexual desire. But then, you know, it comes full circle at the end when after they bring Elijah Wood's body in, Christina Ricci just gives him like a quick hug. Yeah. And then immediately leaves. Yeah, that like, was kind of honestly a nice moment. I mean, she mm-hmm. definitely was using him. I don't mm-hmm. think she felt anything for Sandy. I think no, she's, no. She's just exploring. But I don't know. She definitely felt, well, she, maybe, I mean, maybe she even knows in that moment it's kind of her fault. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's all her fault, but like he definitely went to go meet her. They said they were going to meet and like they must have just crossed paths like ships in the night and like ended up at different places and she didn't go looking for him and instead decided mm-hmm. to mess around with the younger brother. Real quick, yeah, also, I, I wanted to mention that I didn't realize until halfway through the movie that this was the kid. In the beginning of Jumanji, he's Alan Parrish. That's where he's from. He's Alan That's Parrish. That's right. And I was like, I know him. Damn it. And I got it It eventually. was driving me crazy this whole time. I was like, what is this fucking kid from? Yes. There that's you go. exactly I'm glad it. you were yes. thinking the same thing. I'm sorry to, oh. to derail us off of that. But yes. no, no, that's that, that. Oh my God. It was driving me crazy. There's another guy. I can't remember. His name's like Skyler or something. Did you, did you see Booksmart? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Do you know the kid who, um, the the first party that they go to, like on, on the, the boat, boat? Yeah. Yeah. That kid. I thought he looked like him. I knew it wasn't oh, him. Oh, he, he does. Kinda, yeah, I see looked that. Like him. Yeah. I love that um, scene. Alan. Yes, that's guy. right. He's young Alan. Yes, that's right. He. I think he's also he's a little chubbier in that in he's, that uh, in Jumaji. Oh, I honestly thought he was a little chubbier in this. I couldn't remember. I haven't seen the original Jumaji. I don't remember years. how what the timeline is for which one he was in first or not. But yes, okay, good. Thank right. you. Yeah, original um, Jumanjis. By the way, I know not original Jumanji way better than the new ones. I'll just. I'm just gonna oh, are you kidding me? I love Jumanji. Okay, I'm glad. All right, <laughs> uh, let's go back to the ice storm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, uh, and you know, it ends with the the beginning stuff with Toby getting off the train. It's nice that then, his family was there. I actually like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were. All, I, I don't know if they were worried about. It. I, I guess they must have, considering he didn't come home. So they probably. Would. I mean, <laughs> he could have been anywhere though, right? Like. He could have been in New York still. I didn't know, but I guess way to get the train. Well, he said. Well, they they said that he was taking the eleven thirty train back. I thought it was eleven thirty p.m. 
Yeah. Well, it was, but it got delayed, obviously, because oh, of the storm. Okay, so they were okay. So yeah, waiting on that train. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but I thought that was mm-hmm. nice. Them all being there, I thought that was. Yeah, and then Kevin Klein just kind of breaks down in the car, which is again a very like, like big moment for him as a character because like he hasn't really felt anything. Yeah, we haven't seen him had emotion. I mean, he was since the party. I mean, that's I mean that's when it all started going down. The one other thing I'll say before we go to analysis is one of my favorite things about the Joan Allen storyline in the night is when she does get with um, the other guy and at the end of it, well, first of all, there's a really good and unintentionally funny moment. Maybe it is intentional where she's just like, do these seats go back? And then just, and he's just like, yep. You, like slowly. You bet they do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also thought that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the end of it, you know, after they you know have sex, that, he's just like a little quick, quick little, <laughs> yeah, quick little thing. He, he, the guy's just like the guy's just like that was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> like it, they know it was. They know it's awful. Like they know what they're doing is bad, yeah. and that it's like, was it really worth it? You know, like, um, and again, it just comes and because of what Toby said at the beginning, how you know, you're with your family, you know, kind of till the end and through everything. Yeah, that's where. They should have ended the movie that way. It is a good kind of complete cycle. Um, and I mean, it is kind of life and death of certain relationships throughout this movie that they sure. are kind of constantly stuck in because of how the because of how the narrative mm-hmm. uh, plays out. And it's a very it's a very smart movie because of that. I agree. Yeah. I think I don't know if they're in like the same place. They're all they like from like looking from an outside perspective, they seem like they're in the same place, I would assume. But like mm-hmm. I think each individual person is like definitely changed from the individual experience that they had yeah. which is a good you know base for character development <laughs> yeah so yeah all right let's 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 finish this off and uh, analyze this yeah sure So there's a lot to you, there's a lot of uh, symbols that you can uh, dive into. Obviously, we talked about ice, just how they they crack it and they use it for kind of escapism for alcohol yeah. and drinks. Um, the waterbed that Sigourney Weaver um, lies on. I've never uh, seen a waterbed that flowy. I've I've never been on one myself, and I've seen. When that Kevin before. Klein is in it, and it's that just thing like, is like yeah, that thing is nuts. I would never be able to fall asleep on one of those. <laughs> it just doesn't seem comfortable yeah right like, at all. it doesn't seem yeah yeah anyway like it feels weird when you're in an air mattress that's like half inflated yeah right just i feel like it's, this is like, like a worse version of that yeah yeah legitimately um but like okay so we already we already said the thing about like the circular narrative and how they're kind of that's this never-ending loop but i i wanted to talk about just one thing that i really love about this movie that it does is certain period pieces you know, particularly ones that are set in the '70s, because of how you know flashy the time was. It almost seems like sometimes filmmakers are just concerned with that, capturing the look of it. Yeah. And but like this movie, for how observant it is, captures a good feeling of what everyone was going through at this time because of this growing change in you know the social political atmosphere of um, 
when you know when Nixon was in power and like you said, the embarrassment of how America was with the way that we dressed, with the way that we looked, and kind of the way that we acted with one another. Yeah. None of these characters are able to effectively um, uh, work through change. Like everyone is kind of just uh, really like everyone is struggling essentially. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, I think that's one of the big, you know, takeaways is that like 70s were this time where we were just, we didn't know what was coming next. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that reigns true about, you know, today, you know, as we're recording this, we just, you know, Joe Biden was elected president a week ago. Yep. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, yeah, we just went through four years of embarrassment yeah. in this country. And so, like, what, where are we going to go now? And, you know, everyone in this movie does something kind of damning to who they are. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, there's other, I mean, just the fact that Christina Ricci, like, performs a sexual act with a Nixon mask on. Oh my God. You know, it's I, just kind of the, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, when that happened, I wrote down the Nixon mask stays on during sex. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think the Nixon and Watergate things are really important because it's also has to do with like surveillance and like, you know, it, it, and that comes in through like the parental eye of this movie. You see like them not being like great parents, but like are obviously like keeping a cautious eye. Like there's that scene where, Christina Ricci's using the phone and Kevin Klein like, you know, pulls on the wires, like go to bed, you know, he's like watching them. And then it's also like, you know, the mom walking in on the, her and um, Sandy, you know, messing around. And it's like, you know, constant getting caught is like, also, I feel like a big thing throughout this movie. So, and like they, that also fits in with like, you know, the whole, whole Watergate thing. So yeah, definitely. That's very um, true. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you on, on some of that stuff. I also think that the, I mean, as good of a director as Ang Lee is, I think sometimes he puts the he wears the metaphors kind of on his sleeves. Yeah. They're very they're very outright. Sure. Just having the whole Fantastic Four thing in the beginning, um, and I'm not saying that they're not fitting and that they don't work. I'm just saying they're there, yes. very clearly there. The whole Fantastic Four thing at the beginning, and uh, when Joan Allen goes and tells Kevin Klein, um, you know get some rest here and I'll see you in the morning yeah. at the party, which again, kind of shows her arc that she's always going to be there for him regardless. Um, and she leaves the door, you know, halfway open. She doesn't fully close it, you know, on him, which is like, you know, homage to the Godfather, but also like, Oh, she's leaving it open. You know, yeah. they're going to come back together. Yeah. And then I wanted to kind of circle back to the, uh, Elijah Wood on the, uh, on the diving board because yeah, that, that, that's kind of dumb that he's doing that, but also like that's, you know, one of the complete real, really clear um, cases or um, metaphors that like, you know, he's playing with something extremely dangerous as if it was like, you know, he's just having fun. Yeah, he he's on a diving board in a pool that like drops off. He's not, you know, he's not really that. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. He's only thinking about it for like, and it's on a smaller scale. It's like momentary pleasure. It's just like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. But like, you know, it, it, you know, ice eventually kills him. Like, yeah. he, you know, so like he, um, so again, like the, the metaphors are there. They're just, it's very clearly shown to you. Yep. And I, I wouldn't say necessarily to its detriment because I, I kind of enjoy just finding things like that. Um, and because they're so well woven throughout the story. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just worth noting that it's just like, I'm sure someone, maybe a higher of film scholar than me, would probably look at that and be like, "Ah, 
a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> a metaphor, yeah. No, yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, what else could we talk about? There was something else I had in mind, but I don't remember what it was. Um, oh, I, I, I wanted to mention, uh, I love, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I, I also, I love Sigourney Weaver's, how, where she ends in the story. Um, and the movie in and of itself is, I don't necessarily want to say a cautionary tale because it's not like warning you per se, because it's very just like, this is kind of reality. It's just kind of like, this is how things are. And we're probably all going to experience them at some point in our lives. But just that shot of Sigourney Weaver, just kind of wrapping herself up in that coat, like on the bed alone, like again, on the waterbed yeah. uh, is such a, it's such a powerful image. And again, she just stays in there as her, you know, once when her husband finds out that her son is dead yeah. and just starts dying. And it's like, you know, she is just so like unable to connect with anybody yeah. over anything. She needs like, she doesn't have any sort of comfort besides the blankets on her bed. That's, that's the, that's as far as the extent of any affection anyone's going to show for her. I mean, she's an object of, um, sexualization i mean at a lot of points i mean she's not no one seems to be like wanting her for more than her body maybe except for kevin klein a little bit and at this point she doesn't want him so it's yeah she has nothing to comfort her and i think that in that moment she i don't even know if she cares all that much about mikey's death you know it's she's not she doesn't seem like she's had as close of a relationship with him this whole movie. I mean, there's that one scene where uh, the dad gets back and he says like, she's talking to Mikey or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. He says, I don't know the whole movie yeah, whatever. Um, mm. And then <laughs> he's like, I think something about Mikey's a bit off. And she goes, he's been a bit off since he was born. Like she, yeah. <laughs> she knows that he's just distant and she doesn't care. She's just kind of mm. living with him, feeding him, living in the house with him, but doesn't have this affection towards him. So, yeah, I think that in that moment she just wants to hide and mm-hmm. doesn't want to face the reality of of something that is probably not all her fault at all, but definitely has a bit to do with her. And I go back to the Ebert quote, just the the fact that, you know, the natural sources of pleasure have been replaced with high octane substance and they you know, what once gave them escape, they feel curiously trapped. And you know, everything that these characters are obsessed with and focused on, you know, Kevin Klein's focused about his golf game, but all of them are driven by sex. There's also alcohol involved in the story yeah. you know, quite a bit. Is It's all momentary. It's all the very small amounts of pleasure to just get them away from the fact that they have no sources of real happiness in their everyday lives because of their families and like where they are in, in life. And again, that's it's depressing, but it's also like, it's so well realized and it's not, it doesn't shove it in your face. Uh, and it, it's honest. Like it's an honest, yeah. uh, message given, uh, you know, throughout the story. Uh, it, it feels, it, it feels deserved, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that there's a lot of, a lot of really great things like, uh, right under the surface that like, really helped to build the themes in this movie. And I definitely would want to watch this one again because I think I would notice a lot more things that have to do with the foreshadowing and just things that are going to lead to what deals with these characters. And I don't know, I'd like to see some of the details of the characters right in the beginning, um, now knowing where they end up, you know, 
Right. Yeah, I would definitely I would definitely watch it again. And I think that maybe next um, Thanksgiving. Maybe next Thanksgiving. But at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, that's kind of the downfall of us doing this podcast after the first viewing is that there's obviously stuff that we're gonna miss, but that makes yeah. it so much fun to revisit. There you go. Um so so to to round this all out, let's finish it up and talk about how do you think that this movie captures the spirit of the holiday Thanksgiving and how does it, you know, add to your love of movies as a whole? Yeah, uh in terms of Thanksgiving. I don't know how this isn't. It's it, Thanksgiving in this movie is so in like inconsequential. It's 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 a meal. It's it's shown to like that. It's not like you know the family isn't. It's like yes, we're all sitting down together, but things clearly aren't perfect because Christina Ritchie has that whole speech about mm-hmm. the uh, Native Americans yeah. and you know. Um, and, but like it's it's we're we're off of Thanksgiving. I think like right after that. Obviously, Thanksgiving break is mentioned a lot. Um, but like we never, obviously, we're never focused on like the pro, like you know, like extended family or like cooking problems. There's none of that. None of that mixes in with with that. Um, but I think the themes of family trauma and family battles through holidays definitely resonates resonates yes, in this movie. And like I, I mean, much like most families, I mean, everyone has families that fight on Thanksgiving. I feel like it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's bound to happen. Obviously. People are lucky to not have that, and that's fantastic. But like for most families, I feel like there's usually mm-hmm. going to be some bit of argument, and I don't think it's <clears> going to be to the level that it brings this movie. Um, but I think those like feelings of um, you know disturbance between family members is definitely shown off, and I think that's probably like the strongest bit of Thanksgiving. It's not the positive bit of Thanksgiving, right, but I think yeah. it's a strong portion of the holiday that gets carried over into this movie. Um, yeah, I think it's the honest, I think it's the honest portrayal, you know, yeah. and I think that, yes, Thanksgiving is in one scene, but I think that overall the movie gives you something that Thanksgiving uh, inadvertently also does is that like it puts your family under the like most high powered microscope you possibly can mm-hmm. and, um, you know, examines everyone's problems at, a, at a, this given point in time, these five days um, and, you know, after a while, you know, other even without like fighting, just seeing how everyone works with one another you know at some point you're 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 embarrassed at times you're like are these people fucking related yeah right like like what um and and the other thing is i think we mentioned this on the on the son of the woman podcast is that like i think what's interesting especially through uh toby mcguire's characters that like he's kind of when he's really focused on that date you know, he's trying to run around and get there as fast as he can and then get back home like i think that's one thing is like when in that when you're in that age bracket of like, okay, we're on break. Let's do like, I, I have so many important things yeah. I want to do. You know, you want to visit your friends, you want to go here and he's trying to do it all like really, really quickly. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I don't want to say that the movie is just necessarily about family, but it's about, you know, who you think is your family and, or what you think of your family and what your family thinks of you. It's very interpersonal sure. um, in that way. It's not necessarily about, you know, this is how the nuclear family operates. You know, it's like, it's, these are people who happen to be family and they're all kind of experiencing the same problems with one another. Um, and they don't necessarily know how to deal with it, despite the fact that they, that they're literally blood related and they're so close. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think that that's because there's nothing else really to focus on. Like that's what Thanksgiving is. It's a gathering. You know, there's nothing else really to focus on because like, you know, Christmas you have, you know, there's the gifts, there's the whole, 
morning of kind of feeling. Yeah. And, and also the religious aspect too. And the religious aspect yeah. too. But like, you know, Thanksgiving obviously has some complicated historical, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> yes. History, yes. Yeah. Yes. Has complicated history. Um, but that's the main point of it. It's like you're going to gather with your family and you're basically, you're just catching up with them. So you like as much as you can, so you don't have to do it for another year. Yeah. You know, and like, yeah, that just leads point. to, uh, yeah. and that just leads to some clear turmoil. And since everyone is going through this stuff together, they don't really know how to face it. Yeah. Um, and one, and, one thing I would say about the, like the whole thing about the family is that a lot of times when you're, and you're seeing like the, the problematic family, a lot of it stems from the parents and, while I think that that's probably some part of the issue here, it's it's not just the parents that are at fault here. Clearly, the children have their made their own decisions and have their own problems, and uh, like I think it's like they're they're all doing you know, so they're, they're they've through the course of the movie they're not innocent. So I think it's mm-hmm. it's good it's good to show that there's more things that can happen in family than just parents passing down things to their children. Yeah, and I don't think this movie necessarily aims to or attempts to place blame on people necessarily. Yeah. I think it, it almost reminded me in in some ways, like in a very small way of like a parasite in a way, and that like no one is really like they're like each side is kind of doing terrible things, but both sides are also justified in some of the things that yeah. they are doing. Um and I have a lot of um empathy for these characters because I I understand. Like I think we've all been in that position of like uh, why well, I, I hate my parents sometimes, or like you know, I want to experiment more sexually and figure out who I am as yeah. a person, and like it's all kind of happening at once. And I understand that, even though you know, you know, adultery is like a very is like horrible, yeah. and but you see how they get to that point, mm-hmm. and I understand what the what the reasoning behind it is, even though you know it's not necessarily something that like you would condone. It's I get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Is there anything else? Do we do we hit it all? You no. Know, um, let me just let me just take one quick look at my notes and see if I wrote down anything funny that I didn't okay. have to say. <laughs> well, so actually, I wrote down a lot about Elijah Wood because he was really interesting in this movie. There's one point where he is wearing a a like blue sweater, and he's mm-hmm. got like this weird white collar over it, and it looks <laughs> yeah. terrible. Again, yeah. another homage to the clothes of just <laughs> the embarrassment because mm-hmm. I would be embarrassed to wear that. That's for sure. And there's a, yes. one more Elijah Wood is he's also <clears throat> he's kissing he kisses Christina Ricci at one point, and his mouth is just yeah. always <laughs> open. It's like he's gasping for air. Yeah, my God. So I wrote I wrote Elijah Wood best worst kisser compared to Andrew Garfield. Maybe yeah. <laughs> alongside those are pretty similar. I think no, I, I agree. I think, but that I think is because like that's the first time we see any like actual sexual activity in the movie, and they're also early in experiencing that stuff. So you're obviously not gonna know what to do <clears throat> at all. Yeah. So just the fact of like like even when they are having sex when she has the Nixon mask on, I don't know what they're doing because yeah. it seems like. Elijah Wood is climaxing, but his, his pants are still like, on. on. Yeah, he like he, yeah. he like undid his butt and then just started like driving yeah. her. <laughs> I did not understand what was happening. Yeah, I don't, I I don't, I don't understand it. But yeah. I mean, that's the point. It's supposed to be pretty awkward. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that uh, Elijah Wood's dry humping might be my last note. So yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> what a way to end. Thank you, you so much, Tyler. This hey, was great. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I rarely get a chance to talk about movies like this. And so this was a very exciting experience. And I would love to be on again if you'll have me at some point. Of course, buddy. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Huge thanks to Tyler for coming on. We'll definitely have him on again in the future. If you want to check more of his movie opinions out, you can follow him on Letterboxd at tharner6. It's always fun to see a new review from him from whatever it is that he's watching during the day. You can also follow me, Josh Wall, on uh, Letterboxd at BigWalls21. You can also follow us on Facebook at Frankly I Love Movies and on Twitter at Frankly Podcast for more fun social media updates from the film crew. Frankly, I Love Movies is part of the Orion Valley Productions podcast network, where you can listen to Ravnica Avengers, our very own real play D&D podcast. And you can also listen to our Attack on Titan recap podcast entitled Tea Time with Titans. New episodes of that are out every single Wednesday. And finally, come back on Thanksgiving to join Angelo Martino and I to talk about the pinnacle Thanksgiving Day movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It was Angela's first time watching it, so we're really excited to delve into that. I hope you guys enjoy. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Mm-hmm.